The Toronto Raptors and sports are back, and you can save 40% now at The Athletic. Don't miss exclusive, in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. If you go to theathletic.com slash we the six, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you won't want to miss the breaking stories on your favorite teams like the Toronto Raptors. So go to theathletic.com slash we the six for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me, as always, Eric Kareen. Eric, what's up, man? Uh, not too much. Uh, this week, or, or I should say last week, uh, Walter got his favorite ball back. It had been at my friend's house where we forgot it for more than a year. And the first night, he sort of slept with the ball by his ear. And uh, this is sort of how I feel about basketball returning. What a what a great setup there! Is yeah. it that that like blue and orange ball that he had at my place? Yes, except uh, I don't know if you would have seen the uh, regular sized one, which is the one he lost or we we left, I should say, at my friend's house, or if it's the mini ones which we bought afterwards. So he got the regular sized ball back, which dates back to uh, his days. Uh, when he was being fostered, if not earlier. So he, uh, we were wondering whether he would recognize it at all, but he seemed quite attached to it very quickly. Interesting. I can't believe your friends kept it for that long. Uh, well, he lives in, in, you know, North Richmond Hill, and every time he's come down since then, we have not seen, or he has forgotten, as he is prone to do, to bring the ball. And I've responded increasing with increasing anger but i guess it's my fault for leaving it there in the first place yeah i haven't seen someone so selfish about poorly taking care of balls since fred van vliet at the end of the miami heat game on monday <laughs> is that a is that a okay way to go with that man my uh, energy feels low 130 starts throw me off yeah, you should have you should have taken the uh, energy shot like Fred Van Vliet said he did before that one thirty start. There's a segue. There you go. Um, before we get into the Raptors' first two games, uh, first you can click any of our articles until August fifth for forty percent off if you're not already a subscriber to the Athletic. Or as always, go to theathletic.com/slash/we/the six. That's the number six, and you can get forty percent off there. Uh, we're doing wonderful work, one of us more so than the other, but, uh, you know, you know how that stuff goes. <laughs> um, uh, before, sure. What's that? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, I didn't say who. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're implying some things. I'm not Let's implying see. anything. Let's this is a, a little friendly banter like Fred Van Vliet saying he trusts Soji Ananobi guarding anyone except Fred Van Vliet, you know? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, maybe the Fred Van Vliet post-up game is next after what we saw on Monday. Yeah, or, or I mean, defensively, you know, Kyle Kuzma in the game prior not getting the message that Fred Van Vliet is just as hard to score on as Kyle Lowry. I, I was thinking about that today. I think he is a class below Lowry as opposed well, to Well, everyone's a class below um, Lowry. But he's, he's pretty damn good. But he's not quite like... 
unmovable like Lowry can be at times. Yes. Um, all right. We're going to talk about the Raptors. First two games, first two official games back in reseeding in the NBA's bubble. Uh, we have a couple things to check off. First, uh, first before we continue, as a reminder, the three police officers who killed Brianna Taylor remain free uh, to this day. Two of them still on the job. We've tweeted out links in recent days for more information and ways to get involved uh, with Brianna Taylor's ongoing case and petitions and things like that, as well as uh, general Black Lives Matter uh, ways to to catch up and relearn and contribute your your voice and where possible your resources. Uh, so please continue to check that stuff out. Continue to hear the messages of the players in the league uh, and us, the media, as we do uh, as good a job as we can to to keep those messages at the forefront while we talk about the NBA's return. Um, that takes us to, I guess, the first thing with these reseeding games, Eric, is our initial, you know, kind of takeaways of the game presentation and stuff like that. We can start with uh, the Raptors game on Saturday against the Los Angeles Lakers, where both teams kneeled for both national anthems. Uh, Marc Gasol, old man, knee jokes aside, I thought it was a pretty powerful show of unity. Um, You know, I think Jalen Brown's comments on Sunday uh, about, you know, exactly how the anthem is representative of these things that that can get built into the system without even thinking, you know, the fact that there is a third verse of the anthem that's largely about slavery that just kind of, you know, that that goes unnoticed and that the song was written by a slave owner. Um, You know, I think things like that and talking about not just kneeling for the anthem as a means of peaceful protest and getting the message out there about Black Lives Matter, but also reflecting on the way something like an anthem or something like, you know, the way people want, sports to be depoliticized yet we play the anthem at the beginning of them um you know the way those kind of things are baked into the system and those are the kind of things we mean when we talk about systemic racism so i thought a great job from from all the teams this weekend with with the few exceptions of players who didn't participate for their own reasons uh and then uh, a great job from from the raptors and lakers making that a united front across both anthems one long song as as nick nurse said can can i just say that it's infuriating that jalen brown is a boston celtic yeah, I still remember that draft year. You know, I'm very fond of Jakob Pertl. He's gotten extremely good. I think he should really get paid in restricted free agency. But when there were those rumors that draft year that Jalen Brown could slide out of that, like that was the year everyone knew there was like a set top eight and the Raptors had the number nine pick from the Knicks from the Andrea Bargnani trade. So you can't really complain about who they ended up with. Uh, it also helped them get Kawhi Leonard. But you look back and it's like, man, if Jalen Brown had a slid, what a what an on-court and kind of cultural fit Jalen Brown would be with this franchise. He's good in all of the ways. And, uh, you know, all Boston slander aside, uh, he's been a really important voice. And, you know, uh, it's the more we go on, the more you appreciate the strongest voices also being you know, some of the more informed voices and, and Jalen Brown certainly qualifies, uh, as, as both. Um, he, he's, you know, a credit to the league and I mean, he, he doesn't, he represents the league, but mostly he represents himself and what he's trying to do overall is really, really commendable. And I think he's doing a hell of a job yeah. and he's also very good at basketball. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think he's doing a heck of a job. I think, you know, Kyle Lowry's taking on a good leadership role. All of the Raptors following Masai Jiri's lead in that regard. I think the WNBA has done a terrific job, and they've kind of always been at the forefront of of these social justice issues, and it maybe doesn't get covered as much, but with their season relaunch as well. Uh, by the way, WNBA League Pass is only $17 for the season, and even though Sabrina's going to miss a month, and the New York, our New York Liberty no longer have a, a watchable functional offense, uh, a lot of fun. They also, a lot of those games start really early, so like yesterday I watched like, I think seven basketball games in a row between the WNBA and the NBA. Uh, it's great. <laughs> $17 for a season of League Pass is, uh, is excellent. Um, what did you have any other uh, takeaways from the game presentation and what these feel like compared to the scrimmages or compared to maybe what your expectations were? Eric? I'm surprised at how I don't know that it seems normal, but it's gotten normal pretty quickly. Um, I think the I, games being kind of good has yeah has helped that, that. that for sure. Like both Raptors games have definitely been, and I'm sure the opposition helps. Like you get. I think Miami's defensive reputation has been better than its results on that end by a bit this year. But by and large, the Lakers and Miami are two pretty good defensive teams and very intense defensive teams. And the Raptors certainly play like that the vast majority of the time, you know, scrimmages against the Phoenix Suns notwithstanding. Uh, So that is, you know, just from that point of view, any worries that the basketball would seem in any way less so because of uh, the lack of fans. You you can see how competitive these games have been. Uh, You know, the pumped-in noise, I'm not really (laughs) here for. I like like it in the background, but the chance of let's go heat or whatever just seem... They seem phony. I don't like when... It's like a bad laugh track, right? Like... Laugh tracks yeah, are fine. Early season, How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, or uh, also the first season of Sports Night, which eventually ditched the laugh track entirely. It's you know these sh- these things should be comforting. They shouldn't be jarring. Uh, that's the point of them. And if if things start to if things sound in in a manner that they do not look it becomes distracting. So I guess that would be my game ops complaint. Like the, we can do without the can chance at least. Yeah. Um, now, having said that, how long until WWE rips that off and they're doing the same thing? The people in the, I guess they're mostly NXT trainees. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not clear if they have real fans in there yet. I don't think so. I think they're doing a pretty good job of making some noise. Um a lot of banging on the plexiglass, which probably isn't sanitary, but uh, I think I think they're given it. Uh, unlike the product, which is mostly unwatchable right now, um, wrestling without fans is you know it's like David Shoemaker has said, like it's the fans are the third participant. It's really they're almost necessary in this. Uh, anyway, tangent. Yeah, I, I- yeah, yeah, tangent. Um, what did you think, though? You know, can, if we're no on candid noise, how do we feel about James Siakam and the Raptor himself being uh, two of the visiting fans for, for Monday's <laughs> game on the on the video board? I mean, it's good for a laugh, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always good to see the Raptor. The Raptor is missed. I, I don't think... Have we seen any mascots in the bubble? I don't think so. I don't think so. I know Memphis is doing, like... 
they're doing material in their own arena with um, our, our friend Kelsey Wright Johnson, who who's now um, over with the Grizzlies on, on their digital team. Um, they've been doing some stuff like for social and things like that. But I don't believe I don't believe uh, any of the 37 teams used one of their spots on a, on a mascot. I think the Bulls would be the only team that, that would do that. Uh, yeah, they can use it. Use the spot instead of one of their many bad players. Yeah, or their bad coach. Uh, how is he still the coach? I don't know, man. Let's get Darnell on here. Yeah, it's, uh, I can't imagine it'd be for long. Free Chris Dunn. <laughs> Chris Free- Dunn! Yeah, exactly. Free Chris Dunn. Um, Easter egg in the Athletic Raptors relaunch quiz that everyone's still mad at me for making way too hard. Uh, I will say the other thing that I'm happy about, Eric, is that, you know, you go four and a half months without seeing your favorite player, referee David Guthrie. Uh, it's nice to see him take over a game. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I actually thought the call that Lowry picked up his fourth call, foul on, uh, it was either... The Olympic was one? Not, yes. I thought that was either correct or... Or at least it should not have been a foul on Olenek. So I, I yeah, didn't like you think can't fine. you can't jump away from the basket yeah, on a layup. Yeah, I get it, that. It, ma- it makes no sense. But the two reviews, and I just don't like. Maybe they're just not used to speaking on, or maybe they've been doing this the whole time and they just haven't been mic'd up. But what essentially happened uh, for those who didn't see the game is on the first reviewed play, which had uh, OG Ananobi tripped after blocking Goran Dragic and then trying to go the other way with the ball. It certainly looked like an intentional trip. And on on camera and his and mic'd up, Guthrie said that there would be no flagrant foul in part because Ananobi was not injured. And then on the second play, which featured uh OGN or sorry, uh Kelly Olinick sort of swiping down at a loose ball and hitting Kyle Lowry in the face. It was pretty clear it was inadvertent. He mentioned that Lowry was susceptible to injury on the play, which I I don't even know what that means. They're always susceptible to injury. They're professional athletes playing competitive basketball (laughs) uh, and did reward two flagrant fouls. And then... To wrap this all up, Doug Smith of the Toronto Star acted as a pool reporter speaking to Guthrie, and he said that on the first play in which he initially claimed the lack of injury had something to do with the with the ruling that it was not a flagrant, he then said it had nothing to do with it, uh, and uh, at least he did admit that the call was probably wrong on Olenek on the second play, and that it should have just been a common foul and not a flagrant foul. I think uh, what probably should have happened was the opposite of what was called in the game. So you end up neutral in terms of free throws. Uh, but you know if that sequence of events went against the Raptors uh, and you know you lose a, a, what was essentially a one-possession game, you might be complaining about those two free throws that uh, they ended up getting on the Olenek flagrant. You sure might. You sure might. It was... Uh... <laughs> It was a pretty physical game overall, and the the officiating was a little inconsistent, as it tends to be. Um, I joke about, you know, David Guthrie kind of taking over the game, but it was an unfortunate subplot that um, that happened multiple times, the lengthy reviews and the contradictory yeah. uh, explanations. And I th- like, I like, Goran was... Dragic tried to lock him in AJ Styles' calf killer. 
<laughs> it's, I uh, thought it was so cool in the early games, especially like hearing those explanations. And for the most part, they had been done well. And, and this game, uh, whether you agree or disagree with the calls, like the explanations didn't make any sense. And if that's what we're going to get, I, I mean, I'm sure the referees won't want to be mic'd up if that continues. Uh, they're already, you know, a bit crusty about the last two minute reports um, being public and which, you know, obviously have some flaws. Uh, but if they're not going to make sense, then obviously we don't have uh, much to gain from them as viewers and observers and journalists and all those other things that we are. Yeah, we're some of those things. Yeah. Uh, speaking of journalists, um, I guess there's one thing that we touched on last podcast that we should um, bring back up before we talk the actual two games. And that's with respect to Terrence Davis. Um, you asked Nick Nurse about that today. For anyone who didn't listen to last week's podcast or, or hasn't been catching up on social media, um, Terrence Davis posted a shared a story on Instagram that was from uh, an anti-vaccination account. He eventually took it down. The next day he shared um, what was described as a COVID conspiracy video on his Instagram story. He took that down and then he was photographed coming into the arena on Saturday with a hole in his mask, uh, which some took to be some sort of, you know, statement or protestation about uh, uh, the masks and, and COVID in general. Um, Eric Crean of The Athletic asked Nick Nurse after the game on Monday uh, whether the team had talked to him. Nick Nurse had said before the game when asked less specifically about um, the league cracking down on this kind of stuff that it hasn't been hard to get everyone to follow the mask protocols and things like that. Uh, Eric asked after the game if they've talked to Terrence Davis about um, you know the social media posts and the hole in the mask and he said that Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster have spoken to him. So um, hopefully this puts that to rest. The timeline of events in those discussions leads me to believe some of the things happened after he had already been talked to, uh, but the team is not going to go on record with uh, such things. So that is certainly something that uh, warrants monitoring moving forward. Um, it's probably something Terrence will get asked that he hasn't been available to the media um, since this all happened. If you're wondering why we hadn't written about it or tweeted about it or, or talked in more specific terms here, um, I feel like something like that. First, it's a you know a more not sensitive approach, but a more pragmatic approach, maybe to not make it a huge thing out of the gate in case there is an opportunity for the team side to, um, you know, educate him and kind of, you know, guide those conversations along. Uh, And then also, you know, you want to give him a a chance after he's had an opportunity to reflect on it to um, explain himself. Uh, So Eric, thank you for asking that. We now know officially that the Raptors have talked to him about it, Uh, but I don't think, well, I mean, I hope this is the end of the story, but I don't know if it will be. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what Terrence Davis says when he does speak. I, I assume he will be asked about it. I assume if he's not, one of us will ask him about it. Um, but uh, I, I don't want to pile on further just because, I mean, who knows with the mask? Like, lots of people are fine, like, have said it's uncomfortable. So I don't know that he was making uh, making some sort of point. I don't know that he's not, but, like, there are people just complaining about being able, like, the comfort of masks. So I don't want to say A goes with B necessarily, even if that would be sort of the natural conclusion to draw. Um, but, you know, like like we say in, we've said in all sorts of facets as uh, <laughs> of this complicated time, you just want to see people grow and get better and, uh, and, and learn. And this is one of them learning opportunities for... Uh, 
Terrence Davis. So hopefully he takes it. Yeah, and that doesn't uh, doesn't just go for Terrence Davis. That goes for uh, people like Dwight Howard, uh, Michael Porter Jr., who currently has 35 points in an overtime game that looks like it's going to be a Nuggets victory against the Thunder. Um, you know, there there have been some other instances as well. Um, you know, people weren't fond of, of Jonathan Isaac's explanation for not standing or for not kneeling for the anthem and, and not wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt uh, as well. So, you know, I think I think these instances are a reminder that, you know, first of all, there are a lot of young players in the league. There are there's not uniformity of opinion or belief. Um, there's room to still have these discussions. And, and part of what we mean when we say the NBA return is about continuing to have these conversations and put those messages out there is having difficult conversations like that. And, and sometimes inside the bubble, that might mean with other players inside the bubble or with other staff inside the bubble. Um, you know, and then for, for those of us in the rest of the world, that could mean tough conversations with friends or family. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's on all of us to, to keep having those conversations and keep trying to make sure everyone's pulling in the same direction. And in the case of something like, you know, the, the Terrence Davis social media stuff, you know, you hope you can have those conversations um, you know, in an empathetic way uh, rather than an adversarial one, because I think that's uh, generally a better way to, to kind of get someone where they need to go with those kind of things. It's very difficult in today's climate to do that, we should say. And yes, which is part of yeah. why, you know, not, not to justify not writing... Uh, a story about it because the real reason is we haven't got to talk to Terrence yet but that was part of the hope is that you know if, if everyone makes it a big thing and is dunking on him on social media you know we've seen a lot in the last couple of years how that can push someone further to the other end rather than kind of helping them you know not see the light or something like that but like you know, people can get their defenses up. And I don't know, you know, Terrence and I have never had a disagreement, so I don't know what direction he might go in for something like that. But I don't know that, um, you know, especially with a young player surrounded by good and smart leaders, I don't know that us having jumped all over it in a critical fashion um, would have been helpful to, to, you know, getting where I think everyone hopes those conversations go eventually. Indeed. Let's talk about the Raptors. Huh? Yeah, I mean that's that's let's a, talk about that's, some basketball. Yeah, that's Raptors talk. Um, yeah. Terrence Davis has coincidentally not had the best uh, two first two games. Um, that has been, if you are looking for a worry from the first two games, uh, which you know, if you are a reader of Eric Kareen, you you might that might be your first your first swing is to uh, find. Is that fair to say, Eric? Yeah, whatever. Sure. This is this is going in a good direction. Yeah. Uh, the bench has not been good through no. two games. We talked a lot about in the scrimmage games in the lead up here, you know, what's that battle between Terrence Davis and Patrick McCaw look like for the number eight spot? What is the battle between Rondé Hollis Jefferson and Chris Boucher look like for the number nine spot? Can Matt Thomas find minutes? Well, not only have none of those players uh, looked particularly sharp, um, you know, uh, Terrence Davis has struggled over two games. He was a minus 15 against the Lakers. He was a plus one, but only played four minutes against the Heat uh, as Nick Nurse shrunk his rotation to to kind of eight players. Uh, Ronnie Hollis-Jefferson only played 16 minutes across the two games as sort of the eighth man. Matt Thomas with just brief cameos. Chris Boucher um, was inactive for the game against Miami as Nick Nurse tries to spread those spots at the uh, back of the rotation around. I thought... 
Nick Nurse didn't. Uh, his answer suggested maybe Boucher, th- not not the literal words of his answer, but certainly his tone uh, and, and the fact that Boucher's inactive wasn't announced ahead of time suggested to me maybe um, you know that's more than just rotating those spots around. It's uh, you know maybe he's in the doghouse or hasn't been practicing well or something like that. Um, anyway, all of that is to say that the depth pieces in the rotation have not. No one's really made a, a claim. And run with those. Uh, Patrick Wilcox still hasn't played because he's dealing with left knee soreness. O'Shea Brissett still hasn't played because he's dealing with right knee soreness. Uh, but those spots are open. And not only that, Norman Powell and Serge Ibaka haven't looked uh, their sharpest through two games either. Serge Ibaka did shoot 7 of 12 on Monday in the team's victory over the Heat. Uh, but I thought he had a pretty poor defensive game. And he was uh, a pretty non-factor against the Lakers as well. Uh, Eric, any concern level... With you know, I think we can we can probably bet that Abaka and Powell will at least come around as play finishers. Uh, but any yeah. concerns about the depth here? We we thought that this would be a potential strength uh, that they could lean on in these reseeding games. Yeah, I mean it's moderate. I would say um, it's two games, that, of course. But that what it I mean it also just represents mostly what a playoff lineup's going to look like uh, and a playoff rotation's going to look like. So I'm not that concerned especially if the raptors keep on winning like they'll have a few games to you know ease the minutes on you know fred van vliet played 42 on on monday larry's played 35 and both uh in both games og ananobi all of a sudden is a 30 minute a game guy played 33 against the heat um you know you're not overly concerned about that because they've sort of dealt with it or are young enough to deal with it and are obviously fresh but you want to see, and this is what you wrote about uh, heading into the weekend, you want to see them find some transitional units that work. And just seeing the ways that Hollis Jefferson has struggled, and he did, you know, turn his ankle in the first game, so that could be playing a part. But, you know, with, with opponents basically ignoring him on offense and then just trapping him underneath the net, and he's been turnover happy. Terrence Davis has been turnover happy. Uh, I, I'm not... I'm still not that concerned with Norm. He's getting to the, he's getting to the rim for the most part. I, I think his decision making has been pretty decent, and he's just not finishing. And you know, I, I know people got comfortable with him being a 50-40-84 guy, but I, I don't think that's who he is based on his body of work. Uh, so I, I think he will probably settle in somewhere in between where he's shot early on and where he. Uh, where what he did for the whole year and surge like we saw this during the playoffs there were games where he was just a coming off the bench where he was a non-factor and then there were games where you know like nick nurse alludes to this all the time like when he's out there blocking shots and rim running and what he gets those early jumpers to fall like he can really be a very impactful player and i, I think we'll see that guy you know once every two games, like we sort of got used to last playoffs. And this uh, more, you know, they've won the two games because the starters have mostly been great in their own ways. So I think, you know, there's time for the bench to find itself if, if the starters, especially as a whole, are going to play like this. Yeah, and I think, you know, process versus results here with some of the finishing stuff. You know, Powell's still doing a good job of getting the basket. I know that that can be... Five, assi- five assists against the Heat, which uh, I can't say I noticed, but uh, that, you know, sort of speaks to that decision-making. Yeah, and, and, you know, he's getting to the rim, and I know that it can be 
especially frustrating with, with Powell when he doesn't finish at the rim because that was, you know, in before this season, that was one of the areas where it was like, you know, if he could just finish with, with more regularity because he's so good at getting to the rim, uh, that would be like a huge skill amplifier. So to see him even in a small sample regress is like, oh, no. Um, but I think, you know, he's got 50 games this year of showing that, uh, he had improved that skill, and I think he'll tick upwards. Um, I guess I guess my question on the bench is, as we look ahead to the playoffs, and I'm talking second rounded further here because with the news that Jonathan Isaac has torn his ACL and the Raptors having a, a pretty, you know, starting 2-0, the Celtics have already dropped the game. They're almost surely going to be the two seed. Uh, that first round playoff series, no matter who they draw, isn't particularly daunting. Um, could you see in later rounds this shrinking to seven the way it did at times against Philadelphia and Milwaukee? Or, I mean, obviously we have six six more reseeding games plus uh, the first round of the playoff series for guys to make their case and, and things like that. Uh, but could you see Nurse just being like, you know what, these games are too valuable. We don't have to travel. So even though there are no extra off days, you know, maybe, maybe the toll is a little lighter. Could you see this going down to seven? Absolutely. And, I, you know, I, I almost think it will. At some point, um, it's they're just in those games. There just isn't a lot of room for error, and if you see the mistakes on the offensive end from Hollis Jefferson, I mean, not even mistakes. He he he's turned it over, but it's just you know teams know how to treat him, and it, it creates a packed paint because of it, and that just naturally. Increases the turnovers, and if, if you see Terrence Davis, I, I think you know a lot of his mistakes have have come on the have come with the ball, and I don't think they naturally they really intend for him to be a playmaker that often, despite how much he's been working on it. So I think if he can cut down on on those er- in those areas and just have a few games where he's hitting in transition and hitting you know along the wing, then he could quickly climb his way back into the rotation. And we've yet to see Patrick McCaw, who Nick Nurse likes. So uh, I'm not ready to say it will, uh, or, you know, for a whole series, but I wouldn't be surprised if for, you know, if, if there's a seven-game series against Boston, the last two or three games end up being basically those seven guys, sure. Well, Eric, what if I told you this? The Raptors could shrink things to a five-man rotation, and they would have a plus 48.7 net rating. Um, would you, is that something you might be interested in? I think that's sustainable if they yeah. all just played 48 minutes. Uh, through two two games in the relaunch, the starting five have a plus 48.7 net rating over 33 minutes. And while that's a small sample size and while obviously they can't play 48 games, I think that when you're talking about shrinking the rotation and what playoff lineups look like and the fact that Powell and Ibaka fit in pretty comfortably with some of those... You know, I've shown in recent articles that basically any combination of those top seven guys turns out pretty effective. Uh, but yeah, that starting five is really, really good. And are, Gasol's uh, still Gasol's still on a minutes restriction. Basically, they they haven't come out and said that. But when I asked pregame about Kyle Lowry's minutes, Nick Nurse did say that Mark Gasol's the only guy who he's sort of watching from that regard, and he only played. 22 minutes, despite the fact that when he's on the floor, opponents don't score on the Raptors. Yeah, he did have foul <laughs> trouble on Monday a little uh, bit, though. 
he picked up. Yeah. Actually, he had foul trouble in both games. Yes, but so, uh, so did so did Ibaka. But uh, but I mean, Nurse did say that it's something he's watching. But uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, both guys are pretty damn good. I you know I think Gasol is the more impactful player. I think we've seen that over time. But I mean, Ibaka is a hell of a security blanket to have, and he's certainly capable of of being a really important player in really important games. So those seven guys, you, you know, yes, you're not going to have the best player in a lot of series. We've talked about that to death. I wrote about it a bit uh, heading into the restart. But, I mean, those seven guys just look so in sync with one another, despite the turnovers mounting, which I guess is another thing we can talk about. So yeah, I, I mean, I don't that have, might, I don't be, many that might be a product of the early... Like, yeah. we know turnovers are higher uh, early in the season as well, like, in just in general. So I think that uh, that might yeah, just be a product. It was, just, it was very odd seeing Lowry and uh, turn the ball over in a pick-and-pop with, with Ibaka. Like, has that ever happened before? Uh, probably not. Was that the one that hit? No, there was another one too where Norm, I think it was Norm, threw a nice pocket pass and just hit Surge in the knee and went out of bounds. Yeah, I don't, I don't even remember if that was Monday or, or Saturday, the play I'm referring to now. But uh, it, you know, I, I do think this isn't a turnover happy team. They're they're usually pretty good with the ball, uh, and you know Pascal Siakam, who who can be the most turnover prone given his lack of experience in his role and how much he is asked to handle has actually been pretty good on hanging with Hagen God to the ball. So, uh, you know, not much to worry about there. And I think, you know, Lowry and Van Vliet have track records that they're going to make, uh, and Gasol, who had three turnovers today, they're, they're going to make good decisions. You saw Marc Gasol throw a pass to Lowry, who was cutting the other way, and it went out of bounds. Like, more times than not, these are, you know, situations that are going to work out for the Raptors. So I think your your analysis is right, and I just said that in the longest possible way. By the way, uh, sorry, I want to follow on three things from there. One is, uh, to go back to earlier, we just found out as we were recording the Raptors won't practice tomorrow, so we will not get a chance to talk to Terrence Davis and update that part of the story, at least not on uh, Tuesday. With respect to the top seven, a little bit of lineup data here. Um, as I wrote about this week in trying to formulate something of a rotation for the Raptors and looking at transitional units and things like that, not the richest uh, sample season given all the injuries. They do have six lineups that have played 100 or more minutes. Five of those involve just players from the top seven. Uh, three of them have really good net ratings. Uh, the starters are the best of those with a plus 15.8 over 313 minutes. The only negative one is Siakam, or sorry, uh, Ibaka in Gasol's place. But we, I think we have enough sample of the different parts there to assume that that would be decent uh, given more opportunity um, as long as Ibaka is finishing and defense come up from where they've looked these first two games, which I'd imagine they will. Uh, and my final follow to what you said, Eric, is that uh, may I take small issue with something you wrote on the weekend? Yeah, sure, whatever. Kyle Lowry is a star. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't need to be yelled at about the. I'm, this isn't about you. This is about people yelling at me for saying he's not a superstar. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, I love Kyle Lowry's game as much as, you know, I'm in the top few percent, I would say, of NBA observers in terms of appreciating his game. But... He can't always 
put his impact on the game with the ball, which which is usually what we mean by superstars, in the way that, you know, LeBron James and James Harden and whoever else can do no matter what. And I think that's what I meant by saying superstar. It's not to undercut his overall impact, which is immense. Yes, he's been one of the top 10 or 15 players of this, of, you know, the past however many years since he came to Toronto. Uh, he's really, really good. You don't need to tell me this anymore. Okay, Eric. I Sorry. I'm so, I'm so tired sometimes of Twitter. I, I, it can be wearing. I wearing. Me. Wearing. Is that, that's. Oh, put me out to pasture. I'm done. Yeah, I mean you're gonna you're gonna get some cottage time in, right? You'll be fine. Yes, I, I can't bear the thought of watching, you know, six Raptors Magic games in the span of two and a half weeks. So I'm gonna make sure it's only five <laughs> and skip yeah. uh, skip Wednesday's game and and get away from the internet mostly. Yeah, let's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. They they so the Raptors played the Magic four times last year in the regular season, then played them in a five game playoff series. Then played them what, like twice in the first two weeks. I think it was three times and like before the end of November. I yeah, believe. three times before November 29th. and now yeah. they're going to play them once more and then have them in another playoff series. <laughs> this is again, if Jonathan Isaac's playing, that's that's cool. I'm fine yeah. with that. I like watching Isaac. I like th- that would be a good test for Pascal Siakam ramping up for for more difficult series. Um, you know, I'm fond of other Orlando Magic too. My, Markel Fultz, like being a thing, is nice. Terrence Ross is all is always fun. Ken Birch being like this quiet, advanced stats guy is great. Um, you know, Aaron Gordon's going to be more fun once he gets traded, but but he's good and fun too. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about six more of these in the next couple Ugh. of weeks. Um. I think what we can try to make happen is to call individual members of the Magic magicians. Uh, okay. That that can be a thing to keep us amused. But does uh, does it I, interest you slightly more? So right now the Nets are half a game back of the Magic. Uh, I would have liked the Magic to hold on to that seven seed pretty emphatically with Isaac playing, uh, with how that team looked out of the gate. Uh, I think it's probably just a coin toss now because neither of those teams are very good. Sure. Do you care? Like, would you prefer the Nets for the novelty or anything like that to, per, to get per, to get five games of Jamal Crawford and Justin Anderson instead? Yeah, uh, no, I'm up for Karis Levert scoring forty and and pushing the series to five games once like that. That's a thing that could happen. Um, yeah. Although I think what was the wording today used with Jared Allen uh, sitting out? Uh, there was some strange wording, and, and now I can't remember it for the life of me. It was something like uh, abnormal circumstances or something like that. It was, oh. it was really bizarre. Um, the, I mean, oh, most of the Nets aren't in in, uh, in Disney, so that's a bummer. But Yeah, uh, yeah Karis I, I, LeVert and Joe Harris both also out tomorrow. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So the, right. the, they seem like they're going all out for that seventh seed yeah i don't really uh yeah so we kid you not the nets listed this is from roto world we kid you not the nets listed him as out due to unusual circumstances uh jacques (laughs) vaughn said he played 38 minutes last game and they're playing three games in four nights 
That's not that unusual. Yeah. I mean, maybe they just didn't want to say rest because... You can't do that anymore? Yeah. Um, sure. I, I mean, I think that's no more legitimate than load management, which is also not allowed. So I don't know what to... I don't know what to say other than this league is funny sometimes with how it parses injury information or doesn't in, in some cases. It do be like that. Um, yeah, the, the Raptors saying, keeping McCaw and Brissett's injuries quiet and then saying knee soreness. Um, who knows? Who knows? The fact that they keep canceling practices means those absences might extend because you probably want to see a guy in a practice before you give him the green no, light. As if, I mean... Yeah, I know. I'm I I have some skepticism about this practice canceling. Yes, uh, <laughs> me too. Uh, one more note on the seeding: uh, the Raptors are four games up on the Boston Celtics as of this recording. They are five and a half back of the Milwaukee Bucks. As we've said all along, there is a an extremely good chance that they end up in the two seed, and that could be wrapped up. If not mathematically on Friday, uh, for all intents and purposes, the Raptors could steal the tiebreaker back from Boston uh, on Friday. They would then be tied at 2-2 on the season. They would, obviously, they're in the same division, so that doesn't work as a secondary tiebreaker. And then the Raptors have, uh, especially with that win, but already a good edge in division record, which would be the next tiebreaker. Yeah, if the Raptors win their next two games, they will finish no lower than second. And because Milwaukee is way ahead of them, they will also finish no higher than second. So that's it. I mean, we talk about things like Lowry and Gasol's workloads, and that's what I mean. We've we've learned this over the years, going back to the Dwayne Casey era, when you know after they they kind of realized that they had run Kyle Lowry and Demar Derozan in the ground a little bit in the early years of that era. You know, taking care of your business early on allows you to be a little more playoff centric with how you manage things late in the year, and I think that'll be the case in the reseeding games too. I don't know that Lowry and Gasol are going to sit out multiple games in a row or multiple games at all. But I certainly think if they start out 4-0 and or 4-1, and that second night of a back-to-back against Milwaukee, where Milwaukee probably won't be playing many guys either, um, you know, that looks like a prime rest spot. That final game against the Nuggets, especially if the Raptors draw the first day of the playoff schedule, because it doesn't look like there's going to be a playing game in the East anyway, um, you know, maybe that last game against Denver... Uh, is another opportunity there. So when we talk about, you know, when we look at things like Lowry playing 35 and 35 minutes or or Van Vliet even playing 82 minutes across the two games, um, Siakam has actually been pretty reasonable, 37 and 36. But those are the kind of things that we can look at. And I'm sure the Raptors, you know, obviously they want to win these games because they want to win these games. But they're also probably in the back of their head aware that the earlier you take care of your business, the earlier you can focus on optimizing for the playoffs. So uh, good note there. Yeah. Um, Should we talk well, about Fred? I, I, I don't know. Um, I feel like this is buried. Uh, buried the know. lead. Yeah. yeah 40, it's minutes of, it's, in, 40 minutes it's, into the podcast, we bring up that Fred Van Vliet not only had a game ceiling steal against the Miami Heat on Monday, he also scored a career high 36 points, hitting seven threes, uh, seven of 12 from long range, got to the free throw line 13 times. Uh, for anyone who didn't like the officiating in the Raptors Heat game, and there were certainly areas to take issue with uh they did have a 36 to 16 free throw advantage um you know equitable does not mean equal or fair does not mean equal in uh the case of free throws and fouls but 
a big edge there. Van Vliet and Lowry just doing a tremendous job. Uh, Lowry had 15 free throw attempts against the Lakers for the first time in years. Uh, and then Van, and then he had nine against Miami. Uh, Van Vliet having 13. That is the type of pressure on the rim that we've talked about the Raptors lacking at times. And to do that against two pretty good defenses uh, is really encouraging. You know, Van Vliet's not going to shoot 7 of 12 every game. And he only, quote unquote, shot one of four inside the arc. But those 13 free throw attempts count inside the arc as well. So a uh, very, very encouraging couple of games for the point guards. Yeah, um, and I was gonna, I was actually going to ask you about the free throws. It was interesting hearing Van Vliet talk after the game about him sort of saying uh, he thought the, the number of free throws shot is a bit luck of the draw. It depends on how uh, it's being called by the, you know, any given game's official. I, I would mostly agree with that. Uh, and... It's hard to know how much of this is just like them being fresh and and able to get into the, you know, the crevices of of a defense. But that's it, it's something to consider. I think uh, also with Pascal Siakam because you know just watching Siakam try to get into the into the defense against Miami or the Lakers. It's just by a product of having arms that wide, it makes you an easier target to steal the ball from. You know, like your dribble just can't be as low and there's more area to swipe in. Uh, and Larry and Van Vliet obviously don't have that problem relative to uh, the rest of the league and they've done a phenomenal job of it. And uh, Van Vliet... You know, some of the shots he hit against the Heat were just ridiculous. There was oh, one the one like, over Iguodala once yeah. he was already hot was... Yeah. You know, and, was... and that's the thing is, like, obviously the Raptors use Van Vliet off the ball a lot when Lowry or Siakam have it, and that's great because he is a, a really good catch-and-shoot guy. Um, and I do think his pull-up three-point numbers are hurt by the fact that, you know, and I broke this down in a piece last week about Fred Van Vliet's finishing, which in relative terms is a weakness in his offensive package. He gets hung with a lot of late-clock attempts where... The ball finds its way to him or, you know, something's stalled out and he has to take those. So um, also within that piece, you know, uh, he's not been a great finisher uh, historically, including this season. But he does draw fouls on the floor at an elite rate. And the Raptors spent a lot of this game in the bonus. And he also has a pretty good uh, and one rate relative to the position. So, um, you know, the 13 free throws is probably a, a high variance total. Uh, but it's something that Van, you know, Van Vliet's, his ability to draw fouls relative to his ability to to finish at the rim um, on purely field goal percentage is a, is a strength. And if he can add more of those pull-up threes when he is on the ball, um, you know, that's, that's a really valuable couple of skills to have. I think we're overlooking the obvious explanation, which is with no camera uh, people to worry about uh, yes. crashing into, they're just being more aggressive. Yes, as as Van Vliet <laughs> joked when I asked him about it, there's no none of their big feeder in the way. Don't it um, look so beautiful out there? Yes. Uh, he also said he doesn't want any of those people to lose their jobs, but he is enjoying uh, the extra space. Um, I guess the the one other this I don't feel as Barry the lead of this because I feel like the last like eight podcasts we've just drooled over OG Ananobi. Uh, also really good in the first two games. Carried over those scrimmages. Had uh, 23 points on only 11 possessions used against the Lakers, which was tremendous. He was also very good defensively in that game. And then uh, only seven points against the Miami Heat. But those seven points uh, came around a pretty tremendous defensive game where he was tasked with 
guarding Bam for good stretches. Uh, he was switching on to Duncan Robinson and Goran Dragic on uh, handoffs. The, the Heat are one of the very best handoff teams in the league. If you remember how difficult the Embiid-Redick uh, handoff was in that 76ers series last year, the Bam-Duncan Robinson handoff game has turned into something uh, very similar. And you have Jimmy Butler lurking around to take advantage of the extra space. If you send two to Robinson, uh, Ananobi being able to just switch that and guard either of those players was a huge, huge value in this game. Uh, so good to see OG Ananobi carrying over his strong scrimmage games at both ends of the floor. Uh, for sure. And, you know, I really like the way the Heat play, uh, but that's a, there's a lot of Kendrick, Nunn, and Jay Crowder involved for my tastes. And, and yeah. I like Jay Crowder a bit, but he's one of those, like, guys in, in my mind, and this is probably totally unfair, but he's just, if he's playing major minutes for you, you might be in trouble. Uh, just like he, he went four for 10 today. It felt for a while, like he, all he was doing was missed missing open, open threes. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm not really talking about OG cause I think you pretty much covered it. I, I bet that Dragic takes, if he doesn't take none's spot in the starting lineup, there will be more and more situations, uh, like the one we saw today in which he plays 28 minutes and none gets stuck with 16 because uh, none is pretty ordinary if he's not hitting his threes. Uh, that's just the way I see it right now. Yeah, um, far be it for me to not like an undrafted guy who went the G League road to get in the NBA. Not a Kendrick Nunn fan, and it doesn't have a lot to do with basketball. Yeah. Uh, Jay Crowder, by the way, has to... Has anyone like ever like ex- lived off of one good season of reputation like Jay Crowder? Like I know he's he's useful and he does do the defense side of three and D pretty well, but to have the three part of that label when you've only shot better than thirty four percent once in your career, uh, this came up on the podcast with Will Lou too, and he somehow spun it into Celtic slander. But uh, yeah, Jay Crowder, I mean, the Raptors, this is the blueprint for the Raptors anyway. And the Heat actually do this to a large extent, too. Um, They're the two top teams in the league at surrendering three-point volume. The Raptors are going to let Jay Crowder and especially Andre Iguodala shoot. They gave Iguodala all the space in the world. OG, like, OG, like half-jogged to close out on Iguodala threes. Yeah. Um, they're gonna they're gonna dare you to do that. Um, the Raptors I mean, defenses if you're, and Miami's defense. Yeah, if you're picked if you're picking your spots well with that, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Iguodala went 0 for three today. None went 0 for five from deep. Crowder four for ten. As I mentioned, uh, that's part of being part of being good is being smart. You uh, you know we Nick Nurse kept on talking in that Milwaukee series last year about needing to stop Giannis and recover to the shooters, which is very, very difficult to do, but there are some shooters that you just don't have to close out as hard. And, you know, you saw sort of Fred Van Vliet's double contest against uh, Duncan Robinson today. Oh, that was beautiful. And he sort of flew by him to get him to hesitate and then from the bad chobbles contested from behind to the point where it certainly looked like Robinson felt the pressure. Um and then there are guys who you can just run up to and, and sort of close out to, you know, not quite touch, as, as nobody says, but I'm going to start to say. Um, and yeah, that's part of being a good defense is being a smart defense. And I think the biggest takeaway from the first two Raptors games to, to try and make this rambling have some sort of sense is you see what's possible 
even if you don't have a top five or seven defender in the league, and you can argue about that, you see what's possible when you just don't make many mistakes and you are in the right place more often than not, because those were two pretty incredible defensive performances by the Raptors that don't get me wrong. were help wrong. were helped out by some poor shooting like Danny green missed some pretty great shots on, uh, <laughs> on Saturday. And uh, you know, even given their percentages, the heat will knock down a few more probably than, 14 for 45 on average, but that's only 31%. It's not like it's a huge outlier performance. Um, but they, the Raptors just don't screw up often on defensively. And given that and given their ability to toggle in between styles, that makes them hella dangerous, Blake. Sure does. Uh, the Toronto Raptors will look to extend their league-high six-game winning streak on Wednesday against the Orlando Magic. They will then play the Boston Celtics on Friday and then uh, Memphis-Milwaukee in a back-to-back Sunday and Monday. I don't imagine we'll talk to you uh, before then. While four games is a lot for one podcast, uh, you know, who's listening to uh, a podcast between midnight on Friday when that game ends and and 2 p.m. on Sunday? Maybe you, but uh, I don't think we're going to fit one in there. So we'll talk to you after the Milwaukee game when the Raptors' seeding will likely be locked up And we'll be talking about, you know, should they even play guys over the the final two games against Philadelphia and Denver. And hopefully it's uh, yet another podcast with no real injuries to discuss or no major injuries to discuss. Uh, This has to be the longest stretch. Even if you cancel out all the uh, hiatus podcasts we did, two podcasts in a row without any injuries to talk about, it has to be a record for this season, Eric. Yeah. Um, Maybe... That's why the Coaches Association didn't vote Nick Nurse Coach of the Year, because they could sense that the injuries were going to bounce back his way. And uh, I don't know where I'm going here. It really, He's really going to get the no real sense. Coach of the Year award, though. Yeah, so. that, I mean, you know, just thinking about how that vote might have gone down makes me laugh, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, we'll leave it at that, and we will go, we'll talk to you guys after a few more Toronto Raptor games. Um, please be safe. Mask up out there. Uh, continue to hear the messages from the players in the league as it pertains to social justice, um, the fight for justice and equality for black people, um, the push to have Breonna Taylor's killers arrested, uh, and the entire Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, Please continue to hear those messages and engage with them earnestly, and we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Blake. See ya!